2 Chronicles chapter 13, and we are continuing our study on the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're looking at um, the kings of Judah and Israel. And uh, just to give um, a little outline of what we've looked at so far, so we see David, uh, and again, David was the standard for the good kings. Everybody in the southern kingdom uh, is referred back to David. They either walked not after the heart of David their father, or they did um, uh, follow the heart of David their father and did right in the eyes of the Lord. All the bad kings in the north are normally referred back to Jeroboam, and every king in the north was bad. Okay? Only eight kings in the south in Judah were referred to as good. So we had David reigning for 40 years, 7 years in Hebron, 33 years then in Jerusalem. Then we had Solomon, and we looked at Solomon. He was our first king that we looked at. He was the king of fools, the wisest man to ever live, and yet pretty much laid the foundation for the idolatry that would follow in the preceding years. And he reigned for 40 years. If you remember, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he built a lot of the high places followed after the uh, religions of his wives, and in, in, in turn, they turned away his heart from God. Solomon then had a son, Rehoboam, and he uh, became king. He was known as the king of the second best. Uh, if you remember, Rehoboam uh, was told, look, ease the taxes and the people will follow you. But he said, you know what? My father taxed them this much, I'm going to tax them even more. My father used whips, I'm going to use scorpions. And as a result, the kingdom split. Um, Jeroboam, who was a servant of Solomon, came back from Egypt. Ahijah had already given a prophecy to say, look, you're going to have ten tribes. God's going to make you king. And if you follow the Lord, he's going to give you a kingdom just like David. Um, the kingdom split. So Rehoboam was king of the south, and Jeroboam was king of of the north, Rehoboam reigned for 17 years in the south, Jeroboam reigned for 22 years in the north, and then Rehoboam had a son called Abijah, and that's who we are going to look at tonight. And again, just for you to have an idea of where the north and the south is, Judah um, it was the south part of um, the kingdom with Israel as its capital, and then Israel was the northern part of the kingdom, and it had two capitals. Um, it said the Shechem was an initial capital, and then Samaria became the capital. So when we talk of the north and the south, um, that's what we're looking at. The reason that we looked at last week, um, Jeroboam, the king of counterfeits, the reason that he set up the two calves in Dan and Bethel, or what became known as Beth-Avon, the house of emptiness, was because he did not want people going back to Jerusalem to worship God during the three feasts that they were meant to go back. He wanted to keep people in the north. He was afraid that if people went to Jerusalem to worship God, then they would make their allegiance to Rehoboam. So Rehoboam reigned for 17 years. He was a bad king. And then he had a son, and we see him in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. And it says, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Milkiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity 
to come around your word, Lord. We just pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord. We pray that you would help us as we study your word. And we pray that you would enable us, Lord, to apply this word to our hearts and lives. That we might have a testimony that pleases you. That we might have a, a walk that brings glory to you. That we might have a witness that leads others to you, Lord. So as we, we look once again at another one of these kings, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Uh, to be able to learn from their lives, the mistakes that they make. Help us to stay away from them. And any of these kings uh, that are a godly example, help us to learn from that example so that we might be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray again, if there's anyone here this morning that has a particular need or a burden, we pray that needs would be met, that burdens would be lifted. But more importantly, we pray that souls would be saved. So, Father, if there's somebody in the church today or somebody watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, then, Lord, we just pray that they would come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, recognize their sinful condition and their need for a Savior, and they would trust Christ as the only means and hope of salvation. Father, we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious and wonderful name. Amen. So here we are introduced to a king by the name of Abijah. Uh, anytime you see an, uh, an Ab, A-B, it's father. It's where we get the word Abba from. And anytime you see the word Yah, um, it is a form of Jehovah, God's name. So Abijah, it literally means my father is God. Um, but um, Abijah is also known by another name, which we're going to look at in the second half of our message and there were there were a number of times in the scripture where people had their names changed uh, we see abraham abraham going to abraham we see jacob the supplanter the trickster going to israel uh, when that strives with god or uh, prince of god we see simon being changed to peter and we also see saul being changed to paul so there were a number of times when people had their names changed often in a good way. Um, Saul meant big. Paul, um, a lot of people say, well, Paul refers to being little, and that Saul uh, just wanted to glorify God. He didn't want the ministry to be about himself. Um, Jacob, again, means trickster, supplanter, heel grabber, um, but yet uh, Israel is the one that um, strives with God or even uh, could mean um, prevails with God. Uh, so we see people having their names changed, changed for a good way. And here, Abijah, my father is God. What an awesome name to start with. Um, so I wonder what his name is changed to later on. Uh, but we see uh, Abijah. Uh, it says in verse 2 that he reigned three years in Jerusalem. So only a short reign. Um, and we know that there were hostilities between the northern kingdom of Israel, Jeroboam, and the southern kingdom of Israel of Judah, um, Rehoboam, there were hostilities during that time. You remember, Rehoboam wanted to go and attack the northern kingdom because he wasn't happy about the breakaway. Uh, and th those hostilities continued into Abijah's uh, reign. God had, had forbidden Rehoboam from attacking the north, um, um, but obviously uh, Abijah now um, goes and tries to take back some of the land that his father had um, lost. Uh, we see uh, that Abijah set the battle in array in verse 3 with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of 
Valley. Um, Abijah uh, heads north with 400,000 men, and Jeroboam counters that with an army twice the size of Abijah. And it's incredible that Abijah faced more than the enemy of Jeroboam. Abijah faced a few different enemies, and one of the first enemies he faced was the enemy of fear. You imagine going up against a crowd twice the size. Uh, I remember when we were, uh, when I was younger, probably in, in comprehensive, maybe my last year of comp, and uh, we went to, remember the Pop and Crisp discos? Who remembers Pop and Crisp discos? Okay, well, we went, me and my friend, uh, Richard Bradbury, we went from Landred Vardra to Ponteclean. And apparently that's not a good thing to do because I didn't realize that there was like this animosity. So we went to a Pop and Chris disco and everything was kind of going well. And you know what it's like being youngsters, you were kind of dressed up to impress and maybe we were impressing too much because we started to get picked on by a group of Ponteclean boys. They chased, now this is in the day before mobile phones, so it wasn't a thing of like phoning dad and going, hey, you need to come and pick us up. We got chased from Ponteclean all the way to Flantrison. I'm not, I, back then I, I wasn't a runner, but I was on that night. And I had the ability somehow to run really fast. Um, and this group of boys that chased us, there was loads of them. And I was petrified and I thought, if we get caught where we are, we are done for. And it was overwhelming. You know that times when you get that fear where it's that fight or flight? Can I, I can promise you 100%. I haven't got fight in me. I am a flighter. If, if trouble comes, I'm going to run away because that's just how I'm built. Um, but sometimes fear can kind of cause us to do irrational things. You know, we're frightened. We either stop or we run away. Abijah could have could have run away, but when you run away, that you're an easy target for the enemy. As an army, if you run away, you're not protecting yourselves. If you remember, the, the whole armor of God has nothing protecting the back. Everything protects the front. God is not asking us to turn our backs and run away, even when outnumbered. And let me tell you something. The difficulties of life at times are going to feel like it's outnumbering us. We are going to feel overwhelmed. And the greatest enemy that we face is not the devil, it's not the world. The greatest enemy we face is ourselves. Because fear can be crippling. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of love and of a sound mind and of power. He's given us the ability to be able to stand even when we are petrified. Why? Because he's given us every item of protection that we need whether that's the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth or the shoes of the gospel of peace or the sword of the spirit or the shield of faith or prayer. He's given us what we need to stand against the, out, the, the times that we feel outnumbered. Can I say this to you? Christians are not in the majority in this world. Have you noticed that? We're not a majority. But that doesn't make a blind bit of difference. Abijah wasn't in the majority. But we're going to see that God gave him a victory, even when outnumbered. You know, there may be times you feel outnumbered. There may be times you feel overwhelmed. There may be times when you just feel like you want to turn your back and run away. Don't. 
to stand fast and see God work. He not only faced the enemy of fear, but he faced the enemy of the flesh. How tempting would it have been to throw the first punch? Abijah stood up upon upon Mount Zemaraim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Instead of marching up and saying, Right, I've had enough of this, we're just going to take you all out. He faced the enemy of the flesh, because the world says, Get the first punch in. Throw the first punch. But God let Abijah speak to the people. Not fight. You know, we often think that the only way to overcome this world is by fighting it. That, that, that's not how we're going to overcome this world. The only way we're going to overcome this world is through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we want to fight everything. We want to fight the system. We want to fight against people who disagree with us. We want to fight against... Now, that's not saying that we become doormats, but our goal and our job and our calling and our commission is not a fight against everything. Our commission is just to preach Christ and Christ crucified. What we see is Abijah's speech. And Abijah gives a speech and he mentions three points. He mentions true kingship, true priesthood, and true faithfulness to God. Look at his speech to Jeroboam. He says, And Abijah stood upon, in verse 4, upon Mount Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against the Lord. Abijah points out that Jeroboam's kingship was illegitimate. He accused Jeroboam of um, rebellion against the rightful king. And then he excuses his father's bad decisions. Uh, And here's the thing, oftentimes... You know, we say that the sins of the father should have no effect upon the children, but they do. You know, Rehoboam's bad decision by bad counsel led to the kingdom being split, and this is why Abijah is in this position to begin with. What we need to realize, recognize, and understand is that everything we do in life has a ripple effect. Everything we do when it comes to raising our kids has a ripple effect. If, if we have a, a blase attitude towards church, if we have a, um, you know, uh, uh, church is not a compulsory thing that we do on a Sunday, why do we think our kids then are going to grow up to be solid Christians? If we have a loose attitude towards the things of God, guess what? That ripple effect is going to be passed on to our kids. We want to bring our kids up in church. We want to raise them in the way that they should go, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, because we want to give them the best chance that they can possibly have when they have to go out and face the world on their own. When they go to uni, we want to put enough into them spiritually so that when they do finally go out into the world to stand on their own two feet, they're not just standing on their own two feet, they're standing on the solid foundations and promises of the Lord and that their their growth in Christ is such that nothing the world or uni or secularism or humanism throws at them can knock them off that foundation. 
Everything we do as parents has a ripple effect and will affect our kids. Abijah was kind of suffering the consequences of what happened to his father, but he questions Jeroboam's kingship. He points out that the, the kingdom was promised to David. Now we understand after seeing uh, the, the, the prophecy that Abijah, um, Ahijah, gave to Jeroboam that God said, look, if you obey me, then your kingdom will just be like David's. So we don't fully understand what God's purpose or plan could have been in terms of those two kingdoms, but we know that he did have a plan. You know, and oftentimes, when we are angry with something, we can kind of alter God's word. We can skew God's word. We can take something out of context to suit ourselves. You know, Abijah is saying something that we know is not right because God said to Jeroboam, I'll give you this kingdom, um, but I'm going to keep a, a tribe for my servant David's sake. Abijah talks about a true priesthood. And he says in verse 7, They are gathered unto him, gathered unto Jeroboam, of vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and you be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made for you gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods? Ahijah, Abijah sorry, is talking about the true priesthood. That Jeroboam has violated God's rule for the priesthood. And let me ask you this question then. Quick um, Bible geography. Were there any Levites in the north of the kingdom? Remember now that God said he would give ten tribes to the north, and we see that there are two tribes then in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Where are the Levites? Where are the Levites? Where did the Levites live when they divided the land? Everywhere. Remember, they weren't part of, the Levites were, were separated. Uh, the 12 tribes then were made up of Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's sons, and the Levites were all over the place. Remember the cities of refuge? The, the Levites are, had cities everywhere. So there were plenty of Levites in the north of the kingdom, and there were plenty of Levites in the south of the kingdom. Jeroboam could have quite easily said, right, okay, if we are going to stop people going to Jerusalem, um, Let's set up a second temple, very similar to this. Let's just set up a tabernacle. And I'll get the Levites, and, you know, we can still worship God in the north. It's just I'll stop them from going down to Jerusalem. But he didn't do that. He didn't take the Levites. We saw last week, Jeroboam had a counterfeit religion. Um, and again, set up those two golden calves. Let anybody be priest. And like we said today... Kind of anybody can stand in the pulpit today. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter whether you identify as a man, woman, cat, dog, alien. You can stand in the pulpit and be a servant of God and nobody batters an eyelid. But the scripture is very clear about the type of person that God wants in the pulpit. The type of person that God wanted to take care of the worship in the temple. 
But Abijah says, look, Jeroboam's let anybody do it. It doesn't matter what the qualification, it doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what their background is, they, they, they can just be a priest. It was a, 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 a false priesthood. And Abijah tried to get the troops of Israel to think about what they're doing. He's like saying, look, remember your history. Don't you remember the last time golden calves were mentioned in the scripture? Do you remember what happened after Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets of stone and Aaron had built those calves to please the people? Surely they must have remembered what happened back then. Baidu tries to get the troops to think about what they're doing. Just a few years ago, they'd been busy driving out the authentic priesthood, and now they're fighting to support a false priesthood. They even carry the golden calves with them into battle. In verse 12, it says, Behold, God himself is, uh, sorry, in, in 1 Chronicles 14, 12, uh, it says, So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asher, before Judah, and before, uh, before the, uh, I'm sorry, Anyway, um, so they even carried, um, I got a scripture reference on, but they carried those golden calves into battle with them. Uh, and Abijah saying, look, there's a, that's a false priesthood. It's a false religion. And then he talks about true faithfulness. Uh, he says uh, in verse 10, uh, first Chronicle, uh, 2 Chronicles 13, But as for us, the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him and the priests which minister unto the Lord, even the sons of Aaron and the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us as our captain and his priests with, uh, with sound and trumpet and cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. Fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers. Abijah says, look, the true worship is still going on in Jerusalem. And this is the incredible thing, you know, even if the world is falling apart, there's still a remnant of true worship going on. Even with everything going awry, and I, I know we get to a point through the Old Testament where even the, the temple worship falls apart, but at the moment, there's still light. And that's all you need. You just need a little light in a dark world. We might feel outnumbered, but that doesn't matter because our king is the true king. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. You know, we might feel like sometimes we look and say, well, why, you know, why is that religion prospering? Why is that cult growing? Why is that happening? It doesn't matter. Because we are part of the true body of Christ. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. We have a true worship here as a Christian, as a born-again believer, as a blood-bought child of God. And we hold on to that. Yeah, we're not in the majority. We're very much in a minority today. Because if you hold moral standards, the world thinks you're crazy. If you have any kind of morality, then you're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You need to get with the times. You need to keep up. You're not allowed to have morality anymore. The more the base you are, the, base you are, the, 
the more you celebrate it. Abijah says that there was still true worship going on in the temple in Jerusalem. Here were the legitimate priests offering genuine sacrifices. They were offering the proper rituals with the, the table of showbread and the, the menorah, the lampstands. And Abijah was saying that God was on their side. Aren't you thankful that God is on our side? Great is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God be for us, who can be against us? So what was the reaction of the northern army? Did they suddenly sit up and think, oh, wow, that's awesome. We need to get back to Jerusalem. We need to get back to basics. We, we need to get back to, to worshiping the Lord. We need to get back to, to where we were. We need to get back to our roots. We need to get back to Jehovah God. We need to get back to where we belong. Verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priest sounded with the trumpet. Instead of the northern kingdom listening to what Abijah had to say, they were sneaky. They came around the back. So that the battle was not only in front of Judah, it was also behind them. They were surrounded. While the king of Judah was declaring God's will to them, Jeroboam's army was sneaking around the back so that he could surround them. When they realized they were surrounded, what was their option? They're outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned. They couldn't fight in their own strength, but they could fight in his strength. When Judah looked back, verse 14, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah, and the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so they fell down slain of Israel, 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. The north never had a chance. What Abijah had tried to tell them was they were not just going up against the army of Judah, they were going up against God. Because of Abijah's reliance upon God, uh, the cause had become God's cause and not just Abijah's cause. You'd think in, in human terms there's no way that that army could take on uh, an army twice their size. And you know, it's the same with us when we feel that overwhelming, I don't know, feeling of helplessness, hopelessness. The fact that we are surrounded not by a physical army, but surrounded by the enemy of our disappointments, the enemy of our hurts, frustrations. And we just feel it trapped, like there's no way out. We don't know which way to turn. We don't know what to do because everything is just so confusing that we don't know where to go. How incredible that we can just call upon the Lord. We're told, those that call on him, he will answer. 
I'm thankful for the fact that the Lord has promised us the opportunity to come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because at the throne of grace there is help. There is mercy. Here, guys, we, we can't do this on our own. We, we physically cannot do this on our own. We don't have the strength to do it on our own. We can't cope on our own. Whatever the world throws at us, you know, the, the, one of the, you know, the stupidest thing that I, that I used to hear in school was sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Anybody ever use that saying? That's the stupidest saying on the planet. Because words hurt more than anything. You know, and we live in a day and age where the Christian comes under attack and we get hurt, we get wounded. But that's the times that we need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you've got to help me in this situation. You've got to help me if you want this relationship, friendship um, restored. You've got to help me in terms of forgiveness. You've got to help me in terms of getting rid of this bitterness. You've got to help me in terms of alleviating this anger, in terms of taming this temper, in terms of banishing this bitterness. I can't do this in my, on my own. Sometimes the enemy is overwhelming. And sometimes we just feel surrounded, and no matter which way we turn, we bump into, into one problem after another. If we go forward, then, then there's a problem. If we go to the left, there's a problem. If we go to the right, there's a problem. If we go back, we just seem to be surrounded by problems, issues, trials, troubles, hurt, heartache. But in that battle, instead of being overcome and overwhelmed, we just need to give it over to the great God and say, Lord, I can't. <laughs> But you can. The battle's not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. We need to remember, you know, sometimes, I don't know, I think we view Jesus as, and I'm not saying us, the world, views Jesus as some hippie-loving, sandal-wearing, oh, peace man kind of person. He's the captain of the Lord's hosts. He is the great God. He is Emmanuel, God in the flesh. He is, uh, uh, when you look at the description that John gave, when uh, the eyes of fire, the feet of brass, you, the hair white, you look at that kind of description, when he opens his mouth and that sound comes out, that's the God that we serve. We don't serve some long-haired, hey man, it's all cool and peaceless, just love one another. We serve the captain of the Lord's host. And as the captain of the host, guess what? He's far more capable of winning our battle than we ever can be. How incredible that God gives us the victory. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Abijah pursued after Jeroboam in verse 19. He took the cities from him, Bethel with the towns thereof, and Jeshana and the towns thereof, and Ephraim and the towns thereof. Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah waxed mighty. Married 14 wives, begat 22 sons and 16 daughters. And the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and the sayings are written in the story of the prophet Aido. Abijah took Bethel, and you think, oh, brilliant. That was where one of the calves was set up. So he's going to take Bethel, he's going to kind of destroy that, and he's going to restore the true worship to God. But he didn't do that. Bethel eventually reverts to Israel's ownership, and regardless of which kingdom claimed the town, 
the golden calf shrine persisted through the various political revolutions later on Baal worship became dominant in the kingdom of Israel the idolatrous sanctuary at Bethel remained in place even after Israel ceased to be a kingdom and it wasn't destroyed until King Josiah and we uh, remember the revival uh, that came under uh, King Josiah's reforms and that was a hundred years after the fall of the northern kingdom Jeroboam never recovered from this and uh, he died he says you know don't forget now Abijah only reigned for three years keep in mind so you must think to yourselves, well, Abijah's got to be a godly king. This has got to be one of the good ones. This is awesome. This is the first good one we've come to. Bear in mind, first kings and second kings are different to first and second chronicles. First and second chronicles are pretty much written to record history focusing on David's dynasty. First and second kings uh, look at it from a different perspective. You know, boy, howdy, how things can change in the space of three years. Look at 1 Kings chapter 15, and we'll just read the first few verses. 1 Kings chapter 15. Don't forget now, um, Abijah came to the throne uh, during Jeroboam's reign. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah reigned over Judah. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam. Uh, in, the, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Absalom. Abijam, so what did Abijam mean? Abba was, God, my, uh, was my father, Yah was Jehovah, so my father was Jehovah, my father is Yah. Abijam means my father is Yam. Um, Yam was the Canaanite sea god. Um, so why is he called Abijam in 1 Kings 15, and why is he called Abijah in um, Chronicles 2 Chronicles 13. Where did that name change come from? Did that name change come after the victory of Jeroboam? Did Abijah start off good and suddenly think, wow, I've got this, and then get too big for his own boots? He only reigned for three years. A lot can happen in three years. You know, when we have a victory in our lives and we suddenly become overconfident, we start relying upon ourselves then instead of relying upon the Lord. When things are not going our way and we're facing a time of difficulty and we're on our knees in prayer and we're praying and fasting and seeking God's face and reading the word and, and we feel God move and we feel God's presence and it's like, oh, brilliant. But then when we start to take our foot off the pedal and we kind of start relying upon ourselves and thinking, yeah, I can do this. That's when we start taking our eyes off him and start focusing on us. Abijam, the son of Rehoboam, was handpicked by his father because of his proven abilities. In 2 Chronicles um, 11, 22, it says, Rehoboam made Abijah, the son of Machiah, the chief, to be ruler among his brethren, for he thought to make him king. 
He was not a godly king, even after the speech we just saw. Ah, you know, that's not a, a, a true kingship. Ah, you know, that's not a true priesthood. The true priesthood is back in, in Jerusalem. Ah, that's not a true worship because the true worship of Jehovah God is going on back in Jerusalem. Sounds exactly like a politician. Maybe saying what the people want to hear, but not necessarily what he believes himself. That speech is just a means to an end, to get a victory over an enemy, not what his personal conviction was. He was from David's line through both parents. We see in 2 Chronicles chapter 13 uh, that he uh, reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. But then it says in 1 Kings 15 uh, that his mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Absalom. Um, It's possible that um, uh, Abijam was Absalom's granddaughter, that Uriel married Tamar, Absalom's daughter. Some say that Uriel was Absalom's son. There's no record of that. We know that he had a daughter, Tamar, um, named after his sister, um, who Amnon, um, anyway. Uh, so Abijah was Absalom's, uh, was Absalom's great-grandson. Abijah may have had David's blood flowing through his veins, but he didn't have David's heart beating in his chest. Solomon had been dead for almost two decades, and yet the ripple effect of his life continues. Um, it influenced his family and his nation. What Solomon did affected Rehoboam. What Rehoboam did affected Abijah. It doesn't have to be, because what Abijah did didn't affect Asa, his son. And we look at that, um, if not next week, then um, the next time. Our life will affect everybody we meet. Personally, not just our kids. Everybody we meet, our life will have an effect on them. We can either draw people closer to Christ or we can push people further away. We can either get somebody to have a positive view of the Lord Jesus Christ or a negative view of Christ and his church. But our life will always affect people that we meet. And our life will always affect people that we'll never meet. Because the impact that we have on our kids will then affect people that they meet that we may never meet. But our ripple effect still goes on. So where are we heading? What are we doing? What um, foundation are we laying for those that come behind us? Two decades from now, what will people say about us? That's worrying to think, aren't it? Two decades from now. 20 years goes quick. Some of us may be home with the Lord in 20 years' time. But we're still going to have an effect on people. Everything we do affects the next generation. You know, we say, oh yeah, but you know the church is dying because there's no, uh, the next generation is not coming through. Well, what are we doing about it? we got to sort you out with your sneeze and ask him, go, yeah. I'm not counting him. That's three times now you've frightened the life out of me with a sneeze. You'd have been hung, drawn, and quartered in 2020 if you did that in church. 
Our life will always affect somebody. So what legacy do we want to leave behind? Not for us, to people say, oh, you know, what a, what a wonderful person. We want people to stand up in our funeral and say, oh, you know, they were such a wonderful person. We want people to say in our funeral, that person just shone Christ through their lives. That's the legacy we want to leave behind. Not us, not our name, his name. Do we want to be known as an Abijah or as an Abijam? We want people to know that God is our Father, that he's made a difference in our lives. After Rehoboam's death, Abijam ruled in Judah. Three years, that's all he reigned for, for three years. But he walked in the sins of his father. We see that Solomon's legacy lives on because we see uh, Abijah um, marrying uh, all of these women and having uh, all of these sons, 14 wives, 22 sons, 16 daughters, and that wasn't part of God's plan for polygamy to be a thing. But we see the sins that David committed be committed by Solomon, to be committed by Rehoboam, to be committed by Abijam. Abijam did not walk in the ways of David his father. And even though he deserved judgment, he still received God's grace because his son is allowed to reign. And we see the difference a godly king can make in the lives of people. We need to recognize the difference that our lives can make in the lives of others. What legacy do we want to leave behind? Will we live in such a way that our loved ones will be blessed because of our relationship with the Lord? Our life makes a difference. Isn't it incredible that we all have two names? Abijah, I just titled the message there, Abijah the king with two names. He's known as Abijah in Chronicles because uh, the chroniclers focus in upon David's dynasties, known as Abijam in uh, Kings, because uh, the recorder is basically looking at Israel's history, warts and all. We have two names, the name you were born with. And can I say this, that when people mention that name, people are going to remember everything you did wrong. You know, I've so I said this before that when my parents say to people they meet from, you know, friends from years and years ago that their son has gone into the ministry, they all always assume it's my brother. They always think, oh, super son's gone into the ministry, is he? The good one. I was definitely not the good one in the family. I was the naughty one. But my name... It's synonymous with everything that I did when I was little. Oh, Darren, the one that threw that ball through the window. Oh, Darren, the one that threw those stones. Oh, Darren, the one that did this. Oh, Darren, the one that did this. Oh, the one that was suspended from school. Oh, the one that was in detention all the time. Oh, the one. They remember that. Maybe you've got a name from your childhood. People remember all the bad stuff. Joe's like, oh, no, my name was perfect. I could never do anything wrong. But some of us, 
weren't born perfect. None of us were born perfect. We were all born sinners. So when you say that, you're saying wrong stuff from the Bible. People remember our name, but here's the thing. We get a new name. When you accept Christ as your Savior, Revelation 2.17 says that there's a new name given. And that indicates a special relationship between us and the Lord. And nobody knows that name. I love the fact that in, the, in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, there's four women mentioned, Tamar, um, Rahab, Ruth, and who else is mentioned? Dad, don't mention her name. She's known as the wife of Uriah. Because when you say Bathsheba, you remember the sin. But as the wife of Uriah, it takes you a while to work. Oh yeah, that's Bathsheba. When you mention your name, you remember your sin. But Christ has given us a new name because in heaven there will be no remembering of our sin. We have a fresh start, a clean slate. Everything is wiped clean. So our sins be as scarlet. They've been made as white as snow through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the fact that we have a new name. But whilst on earth, we're stuck with this name for now. So what do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered for all the stuff you did wrong in the past? Or do you want to be remembered as somebody who loved the Lord so much that you just wanted others to come to know him? Can you say honestly today that God is your Father? That you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? If you do, then any battle you face is not yours, it's his. And I'm thankful that the captain of the Lord of hosts has not just come to take sides, he's come to take over. I'm thankful for the fact that every battle we face is victory. And that victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you again for this day, for this time together, for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we just ask now that you'd continue to speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to recognize the fact that everything we do in this life has a ripple effect. And Father, we want our, our kids to, uh, to walk in the ways of the Lord. We want our grandkids to do the same. Father, we pray for our family, Lord. And if, if we got saved later on in life, then Lord, we pray that we are able to make an amends for some of the mistakes that we made when we were younger so that we can put that right so that our legacy is not about us but it's all about you so father we just pray that you'd help us in the fact that our name might not be much in this world today but we are thankful for the fact that we have been given a new name lord that means the world to us because it's a name that's been given to us by you so, Lord, I just pray now that you would just continue to help us in the battles that we face, that you would continue to remind us that the victory belongs to you and that you have already promised us that victory in our lives. Lord, we're just so thankful for this day together today and we give you all the glory, honour and praise and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.